Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's Word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so you can trust the sufficiency of Scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. We are back applying God's Word to our culture through some news headlines in today's Worldview Wednesday. I am Kelly, joined today by my lead guitarist, Chelsea. A lead guitarist? Is that what I am today? That's fantastic. What is a garage band without your lead, your lead guitarist? <laughs> and that's you. I'm honored. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I feel about you. So, <laughs> so today we've got some headlines that have been, I think, really kind of maybe end of December, beginning of January here. We've got four for you today. We're going to look at through our biblical worldview through that lens. So I'm going to go ahead and kick us off. Chelsea, you ready? I am ready. Okay. So this first one comes from the Wall Street Journal. Surely, if you read any news headlines or scroll social media at all, you saw an, uh, a plethora of these type of articles through the beginning of the year. And this one was titled, For the New Year, Figuring Out What Matters Most. So this was posted in the Wall Street Journal on December 30th. 2022 by Valerie Tiberius, and she is a professor of philosophy at the University of Minnesota. So she says, New Year's is the season for making resolutions, trying to close the gap between who we are and who we want to be. Yet few people have a detailed set of well-defined values sitting around in their brain waiting to guide their actions. I read that and I was like, wow well-defined values sitting around in their brain. And I think that's something that we as Christians do have because it's defined right there in scripture for us. We have our values. So it's not just sitting around in our brain. Hopefully it is. It's hidden in our heart. We can access it in God's word all the time. So the author provides five strategies to help you figure out what matters most, help you figure out your well-defined values. So I thought, hey, this would be fun Let's look at this through a biblical lens. Okay, so Chelsea, I'm going to go through these five different strategies and let me hear your thoughts about how we can apply this. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. <laughs> she says, number one, try a thought experiment. The author suggests asking yourself, what do I value? Well, I can't think of a better question and simpler question to start the new year with as well. While the author gives some examples such as possessions and people, I think that we can look at it from a totally different standpoint of valuing things as a Christian. What do you think? I think uh, at the very basic level, you have to ask yourself, do you value truth? And like truth with a capital T. Mm -hmm. And I kind of humbly suggest that you should. Truth as in the truth that's in scripture, which cannot be compromised or changed to bend to culture, right? Like regarding truth as highly valued is essential as there's just a lot of false teachings in our culture that desperately need people like you and me who are willing to stand up for what they value and believe all based on capital T truth. I'm trying to think like, for example, uh, like valuing childhood or childhood innocence or building morality in childhood and all of those things, do you value those things more than screen-based entertainment, right? Because that's what we yeah. talk about a lot here. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe teaching our kids truth the truth that there is no such thing as transgenderism. 
you can't flip back and forth between genders willy-nilly without any cost to your health. Another might be that pornography is evil and destructive. We actually have a news article about that today. I'm trying to think if there's any more. Even like just life, right? Is All life is valuable. Yeah. Even the unborn, right? The elderly. Um, I mean, that's another simple one too, that I think culture is devaluing just basic life. I think if if you value these truths, the next question would be, because um, I, I love where you're going with that, do your behaviors line up accordingly when you value capital T truths? You know, instead of making resolutions for the new year that are self-focused, new year, new me, that type of thinking that are so much, so focused on personal success, maybe this year, as you practice this quote, thought experiment, as the author calls it, you can consider what God might have you do, have you be doing, right? With this capital T truth for the kingdom. I'm thinking of like, Philippians 2.4 that says, you know, don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Or there's Romans 15.1, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, for his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So I don't know. I mean, when you look at that, and you're kind of looking around at your what you're doing in life, you know, you could consider maybe volunteering at your local church. I mean, pregnancy centers need volunteers, nursing homes and assisted living, just loving a neighbor, fostering a child. That's we've got we've got such a need right now in the United States for foster care. Of course, there's a refugee crisis and I know that there's plenty of places where people can volunteer there. I mean, there's just there's people who need love, but more importantly, they need capital T truth. Yeah. They need people who are willing to stand up and not compromise Yeah, to what that capital T truth is. Because a lot of people, maybe they grew up in Christianity, but then they got swayed by the culture. Well, when there are other adults that are standing up for capital T truth, it reminds them, oh yeah, there, there was this value system that I had at one point. And where did I go astray? And I think that when we love people well, when we love others well, as Christians, we can help remind everybody of their own value system, the Christian value system. Well, that's awesome. Okay. So number two that she suggests is to observe your behavior. The author states, observing yourself as if you were a lab rat is a good strategy for finding out how you are wired emotionally. Well, I would add that not only observing yourself to find out how you are emotionally wired, but also spiritually, you know, are you speaking one way, but then acting another? Are you professing that you're a Christian, but you're living in unrepentant sin and things that you know are not aligned with the Christian ways? And honestly, that can probably be a lot of us. There's a lot of duplicity that we don't even recognize, but this is us observing our behavior. You know, do you say you love God's word, but you haven't read it in a year or two? And hey, there's no judgment, right? Because that sort of thing happens to the best of us. We all get busy. But I think the key of like what she's, she's bringing up here is just to be honest with yourself. Yeah. And when you're observing your own behavior, there's no reason to fool yourself into saying, no, 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 I totally got this when you don't. But I think you bring up an interesting point to be honest with yourself, but more importantly, to be honest with God. You know, that's how we know we're in sin is when we fall short of his standards. Um, I was just thinking that when we read or when I, Go to Romans 15, one, like 
just before that verse, Paul admonished the believers in Rome to bear the weakness of those without strength, like work to please our neighbor for their edification, which means for their moral improvement or for building up instructionally. So, so if you observe your behavior, are you doing anything to build up the body of Christ, the kingdom, your community, your workplace, right? And all of this has to be rooted in capital T truth. It can't be our standards that we add to God's word. So if you think about those questions and you answer no, but you have no idea what to do, then you can apply Romans 12, one through two. Paul says, present yourselves as living and holy, as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I love that verse. I do too. But it's kind of hard, right? Because it means that we have to like surrender Mm. ourselves to it, our plans, like dreams, aspirations. I mean, literally our very bodies to Christ. Like that's what we, we surrender ourselves to him. And then through like serving and worshiping him, our minds can be renewed by God's word and the Holy Spirit, which will show us God's will and direct our paths. It's like you can't compartmentalize like the way we do lives as Christians. Right. You can't say, I'm going to do God's will and not read his word, or I'm going to read his word and, and not live by the spirit. Absolutely. I just studied Romans 12 with my mentee who I'm walking through this high school girl. Um, we're walking through Romans and we just recently studied this and, you know, she questioned, what does that really mean to offer your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? It's not as though we're asking to, for our physical bodies to die, that living sacrifice. It's the sense of we're literally sacrificing what we, what our flesh wants and we're doing what we know God wants because in the end, that is what's best for us. We just think through our flesh, like, oh, I, I don't want to go love others. I just want to, you know, sit inside and watch my Netflix shows or whatever that may look like. But that's, that's how we know the will of God. So many people are like, oh, I'm going to ask God, what should I do? I don't know what choice to make, A, B. I don't know where should I move, where should I live, where should I work, all that sort of thing. But really, when we surrender ourselves fully, when we, it's just this process that Romans 12, 1 through 2 walks through, we surrender ourselves. Then through God's word, our minds are renewed. And through that, those two processes of surrender and reading God's word, then you know God's will. You just can't throw up a, a prayer. God, show me what to do. <laughs> it, doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. So when we observe our behavior, I think that's just it, is we have to have those first two pieces before we can know God's will. All right. So the author says number three, the strategy, is to ask yourself questions. She says, imagination can help us get in touch with hidden motivations that we don't usually articulate. Well, that sounds like an awesome philosophy philosophy statement. (laughs) I don't think we really need more time and imagination. I mean, for some, their world is half virtual reality as they spend nine plus hours on their smartphones or in front of a screen. So I think that as we look To apply this model to our biblical worldview, we can just simply ask ourselves the questions that scripture answers. Mm -hmm. I think the first one that we could really think about is like Genesis 3.1. It's like going right back to the beginning. Did God really say? Oh, yeah. And it's probably like the most profound and consequential, excuse me, question in the Old Testament. Uh, Honestly, I think it still carries weight in our postmodern Western Christian lives. 
Like if you're unsure of doctrine, don't just assume that someone on TikTok is correct about a key biblical interpretation. Please, yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, just side note on there, I think it's Lisa Childers who's doing some work on trying to understand deconstruction. And a lot of it is found in TikTok videos. Like the whole trend of deconstruction has been a lot of it is in TikTok. Sorry, going back to Genesis 3.1, thinking about like, did God really say the things that he said? It really means like you've got to check resources and you have podcasts available, you have websites, you have sermons online now. There are so many resources out there for you to double check that what you're hearing in culture or anywhere else to make sure that it's correct. We, as this generation, have such an awesome opportunity. We get to like stand on the shoulders of giants like Spurgeon and MacArthur and Sproul and Powelson, right? We have these amazing people that have been studying um, scripture for years, and it's all at our fingertips. Yeah, we have just so many books. I'm always like searching for like free audible books or from the library of of ODGs. That's what we call old dead guys, the people. Who are writing the Puritans from like yeah. the 1800s, early 1900s, when Christianity was just so becoming so popular and so rich, deep study um, of scholars. And yeah, all of that stuff. It's so, so good. We do. We live at a time where we have so much access to deep dives into scripture, understanding doctrine, understanding what we believe. Absolutely. I think we take it for granted. I think that's a good point of, did God really say, well, if you don't know, go look it up. Go read. Right, right. Because <laughs> Satan's going to say that a lot to us. Yeah, I feel like I get that about once a week. <laughs> yeah. Did God really say? <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, here's one, Chelsea. What about Psalm 119.9? How can a young person stay on the path of purity? That one has some profound significance as well. The answer, I think, is like living out According to God's word, you know, Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we have to ask ourselves, are we doing this? Are we storing up capital T truth in our hearts so that we won't sin against God and consequently others? Even more, are we training our kids to know and live by God's word, you know, to store up the word, God's word in their hearts that they might not sin in this way? This is, again, another self-sacrificing way to edify our children and build up the kingdom. That's a great point. Hiding God's word in our heart is not something that not, comes naturally. It's a practice. It, it Just like you would build up a child's vocabulary through reading and studying, maybe flashcards or whatever that may be, we need to build up our kids' biblical vocabulary Yeah. in the sense of studying scripture, knowing it, maybe not knowing it every single word for word or knowing the reference, but definitely knowing the concepts and the ideas behind what they represent, this value system. This is how we have this, quote, you know, robust value system lying around in our brain <laughs> is as we as parents are instilling it through God's word. Okay, one more example. This is a good one too. Mark 8.36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Right, that's a question that Jesus asked. This one always gets me because it just prioritizes all the things that I think are important to like puts them in the trash bin, right? Yeah. It's just, yeah. this, uh, this scripture literally it teaches that nothing, absolutely nothing 
is worth losing your soul over. This is precisely what most people are kind of like striving to attain. Nothing. Like we talked about TikTok consumerism in our last episode and that literally boils down to nothing. Um, It is not going to save your soul at all. But we just, we pursue it more than we pursue everlasting life. I mean, look at Solomon. He pursued and attained everything his heart could desire. And then in the end, he declared everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained. I, uh, uh, that's, that's a hard one, Cal. It I, is. That, it's real convicting verse. because so many things seem so valuable in our world. And I think this is a good question to ask ourselves throughout the year, even though we don't love it, right? That convicting of it. But what is it? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? Yeah. And for the for people who aren't sanctified, who aren't redeemed believers, they find a lot good in gaining the world. That's their whole goal. But for us as Christ followers, that question should be answered very different. All right. Okay. So number four, she says, learn from other people. She explains what I know about the world. I know because I've heard it from reliable sources. The same is true about our values. As children, we learn from parents and teachers about all sorts of new fun activities. Without the help of adults, kids couldn't finger paint, knit, bake, swim, or do gymnastics. And I thought, absolutely, right? So if we as Christians are to learn from other people, the best way we can do this is through life groups as adults, right? Bible study groups even through reputable believers, teachers online, people in our church, a host of ways, right? We've talked about this, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos, reading books. There are so many ways for us to learn from others. And I love what she says about our kids, because again, like I just mentioned before, this is how we instill this sort of catalog of values into our kids as they grow up so that when they are an adult, they have this. I love how she says, just lying around in our brain. Because it's not just lying around in our brain. It's totally dictating the behavior of how we live. And I think if you want to pursue biblical education to formally learn, there's a ton of online programs for bachelor's or master's degrees or even just certificate programs. Yeah. But I think ultimately the key is to always be learning more about God's word first and its application as we grow in sanctification. I think of John when he says, always test the spirits. I think it's in John, first John. Like, don't, don't take everything that someone says is truth. You know, everything that we are hearing and learning from other, other people, even if it's your, your best friend, you still hold it up to God's right. word to make sure that it's okay. I don't, I don't take everything as capital T truth. I only take God's word as capital T truth. Well, that's like applying whatever strategy that was, number two or something. When you're asking questions, did God really say? <laughs> right. Even if we trust them generally, gives us advice and we're like, hmm. Does the Bible really say that? Did God really say that in his word? Go to the word. So, okay. And the fifth strategy she gives is to explore new possibilities. So I love this. So maybe ask yourself, hey, if I read through the Bible all the way through, maybe that could be my goal. That's a good one. Uh, What about, have you read a commentary on a chapter or the whole book of the Bible? I love commentaries. Mm -hmm. They're like my fave. Commentaries just add so much. It's yeah. richness, so much yeah. background, context to, to a verse or a chapter. Um, are you va- volunteering your talents to serve the kingdom? That's a good, a new possibility for you. Yeah. Or like, do you have a mentor or do you mentor someone else? 
that's a good way to serve. Yeah. Have you read a catechism? Those are... That is a good one. <laughs> We've talked about like the Westminster Catechism, the... What's the other ones? Heidelberg Catechism. And then the one for kids is the New City Catechism. New, yeah. You can find. Yeah. That one's really good. Oh, we have an app that we like, don't we, Kelly? Like, have you listened or read to read a Charles Spurgeon sermon? Remember, there's that app. What yes. is it? Here, here's Spurgeon. Is that what it's? Um, called? it's a podcast. Yeah, it's a pod. Yeah, it is a podcast. Yeah, it's not yeah. an app. Sorry. I think I know a little bit about technology, but I really don't. Obviously, it's okay. You listen to it in an app. <laughs> but do. if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, he's like the Prince yeah. of Preachers, and in like the 1800s in England, he was. A preacher. He's incredible. He's just amazing. And hey, if that's a new possibility you've never tried, you can listen to the podcast. You can read Spurgeon sermons free online. They're just all over the place. And he's brilliant. It's a great idea. I mean, even, hey, are you regularly praying for unsaved friends and family, you know, by name? If that's not something that you're doing, that's a great new possibility, right? There's so many great possibilities that don't focus on our own personal success but that dive us not only deeper and closer to God, which should always be our goal is to pursue him. But remember that God is, is not in the business of self-improvement. In the end, we need to remember God is in the business of self-improvement through sanctification, not because we made a list at the beginning of the year that we're going to do all of these little checklists and we're going to be all new and improved. But sanctification... Mm -hmm. <laughs> We laugh because that never happens. That's why right. New Year's resolutions are like a joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sanctification is a lifelong process of becoming more like Christ. I think we just need to simply remember our purpose, right? We are to worship God. We are to bring him glory. We are to serve the kingdom. That's really the only self-help we need. It's true. In the end. It's really true. And so uh, I, when I was reading all the sort of New Year resolution articles just out of curiosity to see what they say. Anybody got something fresh and new? I thought we need a biblical worldview on New Year's yeah. resolutions. So that was one take at least on one philosophy professor's five strategies. So hopefully you can find something and apply that to your day and your year. I had a friend send me a meme, I think it was like two days ago, and it was like, I haven't seen anyone post that 2023 is going to be their year. Have we all just like given up? <laughs> like, yes, that's exactly what we've done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, since 2020, every I think it, we all approach it we're like we're all oh, recovering. What's yep. this one gonna? We were so excited for 2020, like oh, <laughs> we're all still recovering. A little PTSD. A little, yeah, a little bit. Okay, so my next article is actually um, it's coming out of the UK, but I thought it was really good to talk to our kids about. Yeah. So the title of this article is Arrest of Catholic Woman Protester for Silently Praying Outside of Abortion Clinic Sparks Debate Between Her Supporters Who Condemn Thought Crime and Critics Who Accuse Her of Harassing Women Patients in a Buffer Zone. This was posted on January 3rd from the Daily Mail. So it says the arrest of a Catholic woman for praying outside of an abortion clinic has been slammed as a thought crime by her supporters while her critics accuse her of trying to harass women. Isabel Spruce, the director of an anti-abortion group, March for Life UK, was arrested after being accused of violating this council's buffer zone, which bans protests nearby. She was confronted by a police officer who said he had to caution her and then asked her, what are you here for today? 
She explained that she was just standing there. Then he asked, Why here, of all places? I know you don't live nearby, the officer asked. So she responded, This is an abortion center. The officer said, Are you here as part of a protest? Are you praying? She denied that she was protesting, but when he asked if she was praying, she said, I might be praying in my head, but not out loud. The officer then arrested her on suspicion of failing to comply with a public spaces protection order. Mrs. Spruce said, It's abhorrently wrong that I was searched, arrested, interrogated by police, and charged simply for praying in the privacy of my own mind. What I did was the furthest thing from harmful. I was exercising my freedom of thought, my freedom of religion, inside the privacy of my own mind. Nobody should be criminalized for thinking and for praying in a public space in the UK. End quote. Okay. So before I give my take on this, Kelly. I should be arrested <laughs> for thought crimes. I know. I, I mean, if this, Dude. if this is where we're going, I would just spend the rest of my probably life in jail if thought crime was a yeah. thing. My blunt opinion straight off the cuff is like, this is bogus. <laughs> there are real criminals who need to be arrested. And then there's this. Right. I mean, there's a reason why we have the police, you know, to keep law and order. But if you're keeping generally law and order, I mean, this just seems a little bit too much. Clearly, I think it was more to prove a point than to actually punish someone for the purposes of rehabilitating them to the ways of the law. This is just making a a public statement about what Christians or Catholics, I guess, would be um, doing outside of an abortion clinic. Now, granted, this is the UK, and I don't know their laws specifically, but if it were to happen here, let's just say in my little piece of suburbia in Texas, I would be livid because, frankly, I know that there are people, there are high school students who are dealing nicotine and marijuana and Xanax and cocaine. Like, it's just the craziest thing, right? This always underground little hidden drug crime that seems, you know, rings that infiltrate high schools. Right. And even more now than ever before. And so I think to myself, this would be crazy to me. Is this woman a real criminal? You know, but at the same time, I know that God is a God of justice. And so while we say, oh, the, the UK police may be just using this as like a public statement about how they feel about anybody who protests or goes against, a, you know, stands up for life and goes against abortion. I think that God can also use it because he uses all things. He, he can use arrests. He can use tragedies in our life. He can use injustices. I mean, come on, like I'm reading Corey Ten Boom, The Hiding Place. Finally, it's been on my list forever to read. Um, this is a woman who lived in Holland and because she was hiding Jews as a Christian, because they were her friends, they were her neighbors. She was arrested and sent into a concentration camp. And through her faithfulness, God used the concentration camp for his glory. Yeah. He transformed her life and she went on to speak. I mean, there's just so many things that God can use, even though they're terrible. So, I mean, yeah, this arrest, this really seems kind of unfair. But of course, my prayer would be in the end that he alone is glorified. I think that's mm -hmm. the truth that we have to remember and live by. I think about people who are arrested for crimes they never committed. You know, you hear these stories. Yeah. And these people spent like, you know, 10 years in prison or, you know, whatever. And I think, man, th that would make you so angry. But yet God can use it. God can use those years in there or spreading the gospel there. I mean, all things, all things. 
He uses all things for his glory. And that, I think, like you said, imparting that on our children, reminding them that there is going to be tragedy and injustices and all of this stuff. And it's not like, oh, what was me? I'm a victim. It's how can I use this for God's glory? That's the, the sort of mindset and, if you will, value system that we need to approach so many things in life. So what do you think? I saw a t-shirt the other day that said, make 1984 fiction again. And I was like, I need that t-shirt. Especially after reading this piece, I was like, oh. Meaning 1984, the book. But yeah, I think this is a great article to bring to your kids' attention and really honestly to discuss the fear of man. I was listening to John Stone Street cover this article over on a Friday episode of Breakpoint, and he pointed out something that I just thought was kind of profound, and I wanted to share it here. He pointed out that this woman could have very well lied to the police when they asked her if she was praying, but she didn't. She told the truth. Yeah. She was a truth speaker. I think, and I don't know if this is true for you too, Kel, but like throughout my years, as I've kind of just like interacted with other Christians, I feel like the the most common struggle that we all face is speaking truth in love. It's like either we don't want to lose a friend or a family member, or we're just not really sure that it's the most loving thing to say because it's kind of hard to hear, like be on the receiving end of it, or honestly, we're just flat out terrified. But right, it's that fear of man that we kind of get ourselves, um, it's a sin that we get ourselves stuck in over oh, and over again. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I was thinking about it right now. I'm going through the book, When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. It's a fantastic book. I recommend it to everyone. And we were just talking about peer pressure and the praise of God. And he said this about the fear of man, Ed Welch did. And I thought it was just really helpful, but he said, quote, the sin resident in the human heart, i.e. the fear of man, wields awesome power. The praise of others, it's like a wisp of a breeze that lasts for a moment and can seem more glorious to us than the praise of God. Mm. Jesus himself told the Jewish leaders, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from only God? John 5, 44. Jesus spoke truth that was often unpopular but could penetrate the heart. And this also characterized Paul's ministry. He exhorted churches to be an imitator of him because he was an imitator of Christ. Paul was not a people pleaser. He was a people lover. And because of that, he did not change his message according to what others might think. Only people lovers are able to confront. Only people lovers are not controlled by other people. Paul even told the Galatians in, one verse, in chapter 1 verse 10 that if he were trying to please men, he would not be a servant of God, end quote. So I just thought, she's a people lover. Like this woman is a people lover. Yeah. She was loving the women and the workers by praying for them. But then by being a truth speaker, she was loving people by waking them up to the absurdity of thought crimes. And again, that's loving. No one should be arrested for thinking. And so I really think this woman is an example to talk to your kids about, to talk to them just very sober-mindedly about kind of the the consequences, like the, the amazing benefits of being in, a, in heaven in eternity with God forever, but the consequences on this side of heaven when you are a Christian, because they're coming. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I really haven't heard the mainstream news pick up this news article. So it's, I think it's probably slipping by a lot of people's radar, but it's a great, great, great thing to talk about with your kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, you know, that's not when you read that from Ed Welch. Oh, this is just why I love Paul. I love the fact that Paul loved people more than he 
wanted to be their friend. Yeah. And that's so hard. But Paul sets such a great example. He never compromised, but just always loved. And in the end, you know, we all get over our pride when, when we're corrected and admonish, you know. And that's what that's what Paul did. And it's just, yeah, it's beautiful and such an example. And when we read God's word, especially the letters that Paul wrote, it's just such a way of molding our own lives to live similar similarly. That's a great article. All right. So I've got this short little one. Not not a whole long of discussion, but I found this really interesting. I thought it was profound. So this was posted on January 3rd on ESPN. And so it was posted the night that the Buffalo Bills safety, Demar Hamlin, who I'm sure everybody has heard about, you know, was injured during the Bills versus Bengals game. I had heard via a group text that it had happened. Well, the next morning I woke up and I was looking at my Apple news feed to see what was going on in the world mm-hmm. as I drank my coffee. And I clicked on this headline because I had heard it was happening. So I thought, you know, I kind of wanted to watch the video and see what, what was going on. And so the newscaster is sitting at his desk reporting on the incident. And this is what he says. He says, quote, this was a night and a game that all of us were looking forward to because of the significance of this game. Two fantastic football teams and all that's on the line and all the stakes and all of those are understood because sports are important. And then suddenly they're not at all. And the way that he spoke that, I just thought, well, I was a little bit taken off when he was like, because sports are important. And I thought, dude, <laughs> this guy's in the hospital. But really, it's that, that, it's that statement that we realize because sports are important and then suddenly they're not at all. This is something that every one of us, every parent and family out there who maybe has kids involved in sports or any other activity that greatly consumes your life and the life of the child or the whole family's life. This statement can apply to our jobs and anything else we consider to be important that can so easily be lost or taken away from us. You know, everything seems important until it's not at all, until something happens and you're left wondering, why have I invested so much time and sacrificed so many good things for what reason? Not that that's what this guy is saying, but I just think of it in this way. So many people live their lives thinking prayer is really not that important. You know, I can just kind of pray every now and then when I need something from God and I don't need to like pursue him in prayer. I don't really need to pray the word. I could just, you know, kind of send up my Hail Marys mm-hmm. when I, you know, I know that I've done something wrong. I can ask God to forgive me as I'm going about my day. And that's just that, you know, when we think I don't need that, it's just not important, but until it is, until something happens, until someone gets diagnosed with cancer, until someone's in ICU, until there was a car accident or something, you know, some sort of tragedy has occurred as we've lost our job, then that prayer becomes really important. Mm-hmm. It's true. And so we can apply it that way. I mean, or just, you know, church really is not important because I've got all these sports and stuff and these select sports all occur on the weekend. All of that stuff seems important until you realize that you need your church body, but you haven't been there in years and you need that family, right? So I think it's just as we, again, as we begin the new year, I thought that statement was so profound. It's important until it's not at all important. It's that idea of what good is it to gain the world and lose your soul? It's important until our life is on the line and we realize we can take nothing with us out of this world. And the most important thing is our salvation from our sins. 
having an eternal life with God. So I just want to remind myself, really, and all of our other brave parents out there who can get lost in whatever, maybe the sports or our kids in the theater, the marching band, you know, whatever that thing that just feels like it is everything that we can pray and, and really seek God's will through his word and let the Holy Spirit convict our hearts and not make good things ultimate things that can be taken away. That was really good, Kel. That was really, really good. I saw a someone posted on Facebook. I don't know if it happened in the middle. I think it happened when everything was going on. One of the news news, news or sports broadcasters, I could sh- should say, just stopped and said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for him right now." And can't remember which can't remember who aired it if it was Fox Sports or whoever. But he just stopped in the middle of his broadcast and started praying for him. And I thought, "Wow, that's so amazing." And I saw a lot of Christians share that on Facebook. And I thought that's really, I mean, that's great. It was comforting kind of because we've lived in such tumultuous times where, but it's like what you said, it all matters until it doesn't. And then all of a sudden, all of us realize, wait a second, eternity actually exists. Yeah. The condition of my soul, my right standing with God really matters Mm -hmm. more than everything else. And I think it just goes to prove that God was right all along. He he told us in his word in is it Ecclesiastes, I believe? He he's written eternity on every man's heart. Every person under the sun knows that eternity exists. That's why we have so many world religions. Yeah, it all matters until it doesn't. Yeah. I also was just thinking of Ecclesiastes. Is it um, turning some pages? I'm turning some pages. Okay. Seven fourteen. And I just happen to have my NIV Bible. I don't think this is my best version of this. And it is when times are good, be happy. Mm. But when times are bad, consider God has made one as well as the other. And so it's one of those things where we can rejoice in the good days, but know that God still has the bad days. And prayer matters. And this is not a holier than thou kind of statement, but so many people come to me and say, will you pray for this? Will you pray for that? Because I, I am a praying person. But what's so interesting, I think to my, you have access to God the same as me. Of course, I'll pray for you. but. I think that's the reality is some people think, well, because I don't ever come to God in prayer, now I've got this tragedy and I need, I need someone who God may listen to, I think is what people think. But that should be all of us. We should always be in communion with our creator, praying and seeking his will for so, you know, for so many things. And then it's not like a tragedy happens or something scary happens. And we're like, well, I can't go to God because I haven't talked to him in years. Let me find someone. It doesn't work that way at all. And so I think it's just one of those always perspective things that in the good times, be happy, but yet pray in those good times too. One of the statements in Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place is, you know, they get to this concentration camp and she's like saying, oh, this place is terrible. And her sister says, no. First Thessalonians, I think it is, says to rejoice always. Yeah. It's written as a present tense imperative. It's a command. Rejoice. Yeah. And so she says, let's, let's find things to rejoice about. You know, we can rejoice that we're together as sisters. We can rejoice that we have people here that we can share the gospel with. We can rejoice in these fleas. Yeah. And Corey Ten Boom says, fleas, you know, there is nothing to be thankful for, for these fleas. But later come to find out the guards did not go into their barracks because of the fleas. And that enabled them to have worship and prayer and 
and time of sharing the gospel every single night with these women because of the fleas. And so there right. is just, there's always something to be thankful for and to rejoice in. And so the good times and the hard times, it's always just a, our creator and savior is right there wanting to be in a relationship with us and um, seeing all those football players on their knees praying. That was just, it's profound, but that should be the regular. That should be the, when they win, you know, a game, they should be on their knees. Thankful. Mm -hmm. You know, when they go through a game with no injuries, they should be all on their knees, thankful in prayer, right? Not just in the tragedies. It would just be such a beautiful thing to see if that was all the time. Not only in the NFL, which I don't follow at all, but in our everyday lives, that's, that's really the, the reality I would love to live out. And I know I don't do it great and well, but. Yeah, I'm right there with you, sister. I feel that. Okay. I have to transition us into our, this is our last headline for the day. And man, it is going to, we are taking a pivot, y'all. <laughs> we just talked about some good stuff. This headline reads, reads, Louisiana law requires ID to view porn websites containing 33.3% more or more of graphic content are responsible for checking users' age. Presumably, residents could get around that by using a VPN, though. So this came out on January 1st. It says, the goal of HB 142, that's the bill, introduced last year by Representative Lori Schlager, Schlegel, Schlegel? And approved in June by Governor John Bell Edwards aims not only to keep anyone under the age of 18 from watching porn, but to hold accountable the websites that readily supply it. Quote, pornography is creating a public health crisis and having a corroding influence on minors, the legislation text says. Due to advances in technology, the universal availability of the internet, and late limited age verification requirements, minors are exposed to pornography in earlier ages, end quote. Pornography is destroying our children, and they're getting unlimited access to it on the internet. And so if the pornography companies aren't going to be responsible, I thought we need to go ahead and hold them accountable. Schlegel, a licensed professional counselor and certified sex addiction therapist, told the New Orleans-based Fox 8. So the representative, yeah. the state representative, is also a professional counselor and certified sex addiction therapist? Mm-hmm. Oh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. I know. I thought that was interesting too. While many explicit websites already require users to enter their date of birth, most don't take the extra step to verify that information. Louisiana's new law, however, stipulates that websites check government-issued IDs or, in a pinch, public or private records from a mortgage, education, or employment document to verify folks' age or suffer the consequences. Schlegel recommends collaborating with digital driver's license app LA Wallet free for iOS and Android users. So. Interesting. I I can go in many different directions on this article. That I thought so. That's what I was thinking too. But I know for a fact that some people are going to be really upset by this. In Louisiana. In Louisiana. Yeah. I'm sure someone's going to say it's an infringement on their rights or something like that. But pornography is being described as the new drug. In fact, there's a whole organization called Fight the New Drug because that is what pornography is, a drug. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have age verification on alcohol and legal marijuana. Why not porn if it's being scientifically proven to change the brain in the same way that other addictive substances do? I don't understand why there shouldn't be an age verification limit. Yeah, absolutely. I think the only reason there isn't is because of the difficulty of implementing it. Absolutely, yeah. I was thinking about it. Like, how do we look at this biblically? And 
I ended up going to one of my favorite resources, and that's R.C. Sproul's book called The Truths, Truths We Confess, a Systematic Exposition of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a fantastic resource. We mentioned it in our resource podcast at the beginning of the fall. I think everyone should have a copy on their shelf because the Westminster Confession, I think, is still one of the best systematic theology documents in existence. But before I read this, here's what my take on this article is not going to be. It is not going to be a discourse on why Christians shouldn't obey the law or tyrannical kings. I'm not going to touch on that today. What I want to do is to remind us all, including myself, in this like you do you boo mentality that we all live in, that we're still called to obey civil magistrates. God has established them for his glory and for the public good. So I looked at confession number 23, and it's about civil magistrates. And it says, God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good. And to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of evildoers. That's just a small snippet from Confession 23. There's actually, I think, four or five bullet points in Confession 23 about civil magistrates. But Sproul's commentary on this section was fantastic. And (laughs) I really wish we could just have like Chelsea read aloud hour, but we can't. That would be take too long, but it <laughs> so good. So I had to pick and choose which pieces of the commentary to share. But Sproul says, government is necessary because of evil. Augustine said that civil government is a necessary evil made necessary because of evil. We are sinners and we have a propensity to violate other human beings, to commit injustices or to cause bodily harm. God has ordained the government for his own glory and for the public good. So now we're going to jump a page in the commentary and we're going to look at the concept of public good. God has ordained the government for the public good. He has established government to protect people. There may be times when we think the best of all the possible worlds would be a world without human government, but anarchy is absolute lawlessness. That is why historically, political theorists have said that the most corrupt government is preferable to anarchy. Government exists both for God's glory and for our good so that we can be protected from ourselves. So when I think of everything that the Westminster Confession has said, everything that I read from Sproul, understanding how civil magistrates should operate, I think Louisiana is perfectly within the normal bounds dictated by God to protect its most vulnerable population from the disaster and destruction that is tied up in pornography addiction. Yeah, no, I would. So absolutely, they're justified in doing that. I think it's excellent uh, points that you bring up. And frankly, that confession can be used in so many of the conversations and headlines that we're talking about. It applies to so much. And it's a great reminder for myself and for our listeners that we actually really still do have so much to be thankful for in our country and for our government. You know, there's so much garbage in the media. You know, it's like in- political garbage has become entertainment. And it makes us dislike and have disdain for our government, but we still live in a a very free society that we can be just thankful for. Like you, I kind of praise God for this news coming from Louisiana. But here's where my heart really goes next is we need to pray that this legislation works. Yeah. I mean, that they can put some sort of age requirement, age identifying requirement 
on these websites and start holding these pornography conglomerates or whoever it is that are putting all this content out there accountable because it is terrible. And what they say makes, I mean, yes, this is what we've been screaming. Um, Where's those quotes? Okay. um, Pornography is destroying our children and they're getting unlimited access to the internet. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. This is exactly what's happening. Thank you for recognizing it. Thank you for recognizing that pornography is a public health crisis. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's true. All of these things. I'm just like, yes, I'm so glad someone is seeing this and is at least attempting to do something. So I say that we pray as praying people, you know, unite it, just that more states will follow Louisiana's lead and apply and adopt some safeguards and security checks in the same way to protect the young and impressionable. Because this is one thing that a lot of people say, you know, we don't want government running our lives. And that's true, but something has to be done in regard to this pornography epidemic right. and act, having and kids having access to it and what it's doing. And if there can just be some safeguards on websites that you have to scan your ID. I mean, that's how OnlyFans works. We talked mm-hmm. about that. You have to provide an ID, a verifiable, before they let you on a picture of your ID and multiple headshots all of this type of stuff to prove that you're 18. Well, that's great. That's great security checks. Is there ways around it? Probably. There probably is, and I'm sure people have found it. But nonetheless, at least they're making those sort of steps possible so that 15, 14, however young, are not getting on to those sites. And so that's, sadly, that's what we need. Well, I think it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning. Like, what do you value more? Do you value entertainment or do you value like the innocence of childhood, building morality in children? The easy access to pornography is a violation to children. It violates their, I don't know if you want to call it a right to childhood, but it is traumatizing. Most people, I think, remember the very first time they saw porn. Like, they they remember it. It's seared into their Mm -hmm. brain. They remember either the magazine they found or the show they watched. Why... Why? Because it's it's not right. It's not normal. It's not healthy. Like we go back to general revelation. There is something built inside all of us that has a basic decency of right and wrong, good and bad. Because God's built it in there like that. Like we we yeah. know that. That's why we have a checks and balances government because we know that people are sinners and we need checks and balances within our own government because it's a necessary evil because evil exists. I, I have another example from The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Hopefully I'm not giving the whole book away because you should all read it. So it was so profound. So she talks about how she would go on the train to Amsterdam with her dad. And it gave her this like one-on-one time with her dad and she loved it. And she would ask questions that she couldn't ask at home in front of like her brothers or sisters and, and aunts that lived with them. Mm-hmm. And so she had read a, a poem in school that said that someone was, um, I can't remember, but it referred to sex sin. And she didn't know what that was. So on the train, on the way home from Amsterdam, she asked her dad, dad, what is sex sin? And her dad doesn't respond for a while. And then they're getting ready to get off the train. And, and he says, Corey, if I was to ask you to carry, you know, carry my suitcase home, could you? And she's like, I don't know if I could. He said, I wouldn't be a very kind and loving father if I made you carry this heavy bag. And that's how it is with some knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for you to carry. 
So I, being a loving father, am going to carry that knowledge for you. Mm. And that is why I'm not answering your question of what is a sexton, because that knowledge is too heavy. And one day you'll be able to carry it on your own. And she refers back to this knowledge. I mean, so she had no clue what it, what sex was until, you know, she was a grown adult. Wow. Because her parents, and that was a world when you could do that. Right. And I think right. that's the point is now we don't have the ability to carry that weight as we should because it's been taken away from us. The internet now makes it so accessible. And so this is just one way of adults saying, this knowledge is too heavy for you. And so we need to put some blocks up right? so that you don't have to carry this knowledge because it's too much. Whereas the Lord says in Psalm 139, where the psalmist says, you know me, Lord, you know every, before thought even comes on my lips, you knew it. You know when I rise, when I sleep, you hem me in from behind and in, in front. He's like, you, you know every single thing about me. And then he says, such knowledge is too lofty for me. So you can either, you, you can burden your kids with unrestricted phone access and unrestricted internet access, and you can put that weight on their shoulders, or you can spend days upon days talking about the lofty knowledge in scripture that is too amazing, too wonderful for us to contemplate, but we should. We should spend our days like that. We should spend our hours and our minutes teaching our kids these lofty, wonderful things about God. But we all have a choice. Instead of the lofty, terrible things of the evil that's the in The burdensome. Yeah. I mean, there's weight. And then there's, I, I'm just thinking like in terms of weight, there's, you can, you can shackle them and drown them or you can push them up towards the heavens, right? That loftiness, it, it just gives me an image of like weightlessness, right? It's, it's not heavy. It's not burdensome. That's right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. And God can bear all of those things that are too much for us. Yes. When, when we understand his power and his strength to do so, we can give him those things. I don't understand this Lord, but you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So we don't have to dive too far into the, uh, and in our pivot, <laughs> but really just great application, I think for us. And really, if, you know, as we talked about all these strategies of doing something and serving and loving other people, maybe if you have extra time and you think that, Hey, this is part of my values. I agree with Kelly and Chelsea and the Louisiana law. Hey, write a letter to your state representative, gather up other parents, you know, who equally hate the fact that kids have access to porn. I don't know, maybe sign a petition. I don't, this isn't something that's normally in my wheelhouse, but I feel like if I had the time, I would love to be doing this because it's important. Do something about solving issues that, you know, whatever you can, um, but doing nothing solves nothing. So sharing our November podcast with friends who maybe still don't realize how big of a deal the pornography issue is, um, right? Just don't, sit back and lament how big the problems are and do nothing, right? Be like Louisiana, do something. So awesome. Well, that ties a little bow onto this week's episode. Chelsea, thank you. Love the scripture and the insights. It's enjoyable as always. Fun times being on the Brave Parenting Show. And thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a review, share it with your friends. That's so other people find our podcast 
Until next week, my friends, go and be brave. Bye.